Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, this is Tim Venable of Cornet Global. Joining me for this edition of What's Next are Steve Quick, CEO of Unispace, and Tim Larson, Chief Designer at Downstream. They're here to talk with us about workplace design, the employee experience, and the impact of COVID-19 on simply getting workplace projects done. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. And, um, you know, Steve, you're certainly well known to the Cornet Global audience, but if you would, please introduce yourself uh, a bit further, and then we'll ask Tim to do the same. Yeah, sure, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. I guess we had two Tim's today, so we're going to have to have to be precise. <laughs> uh, so Steve Quick, like Tim mentioned, I'm the Chief Executive Officer for Unispace, which is a globally-based strategy design and build uh, company. Yeah, I know the, I obviously know the Coronet crowd very well, spent a lot of time as a Coronet member, too many years to think, acknowledge and to be on the Coronet Global Board, in addition to very active in some of the local chapters. So happy to be here. Thanks, Steve. Tim, please. Thanks, Tim. I'm, I'm also very pleased to be here and be talking to you. Um, I'm the design principal at Downstream, and I think uh, we have been known over the years for activated experiences within lots of different environments. Uh, but you know, a lot of what we've done is really bring stories to life in places like traditional sort of customer-facing environments, retail and visitor centers and sales centers, corporate sales centers. And I think what's been interesting is seeing the importance of that kind of experiential element uh, now work its way into uh, workspace as well. So some of our large enterprise clients are now seeing and understanding the importance of that, especially because areas around uh, recruitment and retention are so important. So that connection to brand and storytelling and, you know, making companies or making employees feel like they can care about their companies is, is really important. So anyway, happy to be here today. Hopefully I can contribute something meaningful to the conversation. Fantastic. So here's my first question. Organizations have been incorporating flexibility into their workplaces for years to accommodate an increasingly diverse and mobile workforce. So what makes today's COVID workplace and the post-COVID future vision so different from the trajectory that we were already on? And so from your standpoint, are there certain layouts and features that are increasingly prominent in the projects you've been implementing in the last 18 months or so? Uh, Tim, I, I'll start with that note. We'll have Tim Larson join in. Uh, first, I think the way I see, uh, we, as you mentioned, we've been on this, this evolutionary journey in our workplace for quite some time. And we've been seeing, you know, if you think back just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we've come a long way. And I actually think what COVID has done is actually accelerated that evolution at least a decade, if not more. So that's really where I, how I see the impact. It's really just accelerating that trajectory we are on. And, you know, if you think about some of those obstacles or some of those things that we were, you know, that we were having to address in that evolution. It was technology challenges, right? To people who work flexibly. I think we've all figured that out at least to a large degree. So kind of check there. There was a management pushback. So, you know, people were saying, well, I need to see my people. We don't have the metrics in place for people to work remotely, et cetera. We don't have the HR policies in place. So I think people have had to deal with that very quickly. So that's kind of a, a check, if you will. And so I think a lot of those things that we were having to address through this evolutionary period has just been accelerated and dealt with. And so that's how, kind of how I see it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that, Steve. I think it, it also, Tim, I think it also depends on how companies are really addressing 
return to work because I think, you know, there really isn't a, a uniform approach here. You know, I think we hear a lot about hybrid, but I think hybrid can also mean kind of a work from anywhere approach. If that's the approach companies take, they really have to think about how they're going to make the work experience at least equal to the home experience in terms of the comfort and the ways that people like to work now. And I think it's interesting because the, the script is kind of flipped here in terms of where the power sits in designing for spaces. As I mentioned earlier, the importance of recruitment and retention, honestly, the so-called flexibility really isn't enough anymore. You really have to think about how you're going to put workplace on an equal footing as your work from home experience or work from any place experience. And so it, it's not really about layout so much, although I, I will say that if you're considering a hybrid approach, it could be that your occupancies are going to vary so that you can start to reprogram space to have more collaboration and less of sort of individual work desks and that sort of thing. And I think we see a lot of that. You know, it's it's important because you know we're in the business of designing for human beings. And so we need to lead with empathy and we need to really think about what's important to people in coming back to work. And including things like when you're asking people to come back to the office, a lot of folks are still going to be participating in remote meetings. And so open work plans, for instance, don't really accommodate that sort of thing and, and having remote meetings. So you're going to have to think about more private spaces. I think, you know, it's interesting as we as sort of real estate professionals tend to sometimes go right to the workplace. But I think as we're working with our clients, think about the entire change much more holistically than just workplace. Workplace is one element of it, but it, you know, people, as we know, are rethinking, well, how do we, how far do we go? Do we're going to have an office? What's that mean? How do, how are we going to collaborate if we don't? We've been spending a lot of time with our clients really kind of understanding not just the workplace impact of COVID, that's pretty obvious, but it's the the cultural impact of COVID. And so I think when, as we work on our clients, that seems to be the big question is the office is gonna take on a slightly new role. And so what is that? And I think what we've learned from COVID is that, what do we really miss? Like the Zoom Teams calls work pretty well, you know, kind of at a certain level of collaboration works pretty well, but you're, you're missing that, that innovation, kind of those, you know, those riffing sessions with your colleagues and a whiteboard when there's nothing really substitutes that. People are missing the interaction, uh, just purely the social interaction. And then as we work with senior executives at many of our clients, they're asking ourselves, what does culture mean and how do we instill culture in the future if we're not going to have an office or people to work much more flexibly or some people have even coined the phrase kind of omni-working, sort of working from everywhere. And so what we're doing is actually to go to the design question, I mean, we've put together a a methodology called Propeller, a catchy way really to just capture this new way of working. And so the experience is at the center of what we're doing when it comes to workplace design, where it used to be kind of the business purpose. And right now, it, what's become much more important is how do you design space for problem solving? How do you design space for, you know, for that innovative, those innovative opportunities? And then how do you design, design space for community? And like, like Tim said, in a, in a very flexible, flexible way. So there's not one answer. I think it really depends on where companies are at, where clients are at, what industry they're at. But certainly those, the, the way to think about it is almost start from the very beginning and then program the space at the tail end when you really answer the questions is kind of what are we trying to achieve? How are we going to retain and attract employees? How are we going to really uh, fulfill our brand promise, our culture, et cetera? It's a, it's a fun time, quite frankly, to, to rethink some of those elements.
Exactly. Well, those are all great points. Thank you for that. Now, what about timeline and process? Um, Can you talk about how the timeline and process for getting a workplace-related project done in the new hybrid environment, how is that shifting and changing? Well, I think, you know, and and Tim Tim may have some, some good thoughts here, but when I think about the timeline, Tim Benham will answer your question. What's taking the most amount of time is the indecision, if you will. It's not the actual physical build, which I'll talk about those all in a minute. But what we're seeing is that as far as timeline working with clients is you know, answering all those questions I talked about before. As we've talked about a lot in the real estate world, it's a long-term asset, so it's hard to just kind of change on the dime. And so those business decisions are taking much longer. And you know, like anything, there's people on the kind of cutting edge, there's people that are laggards, et cetera, and they're, they're in that journey. So what we're finding as we're dealing with clients is that's the biggest component of the delay, if you will. When you actually come to a decision as to what you're going to do to, to reprogram um, and reconstruct a space, those, other than being very mindful of any supply chain material delays, and then you have to really think through that understand what those timelines are, maybe use the substitution. I know Tim and his team at Downstream have been using much more locally sourced materials in that element. And then the other thing that we found, there have been shutdowns of construction sites around the world. So, you know, most recently, Australia's had some and New Zealand has been shut down for quite some time. I think they're open now, but there have been actually some physical shutdowns that have been government imposed. And so that's been uh, one of those things you really can't control. That's an element. I know, yeah. Tim, do you want to talk a little bit? I know you've got some really creative things with sourcing some local material. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I also think it's a little bit more about getting it right and making sure it's a priority. I think a lot of what you're seeing is that, which is good, is that a lot of folks are starting to test the waters a little bit in terms of the types of things that they're doing. And, and I think uh, we've seen you know lots of folks uh, conducting surveys and developing some sentiment analysis around employee needs and expectations. This hybrid environment we spoke about really requires this sort of ease of use and collaboration tools that are just sort of fundamentally different than the way people have been set up in the past. I think if you're thinking that you can just continue to operate with sort of traditional style boardrooms, for instance, and video conferencing systems, you'll be struggling to find yourself being able to deliver meaningful hybrid experience if you're not really rethinking all of those kinds of things. So in terms of timeline, you're seeing lots of folks sort of starting to test. And I think that's really important. There's been a little bit of stop and start along the sort of COVID life cycle here, which has actually been good because companies have been able to sort of uh, test uh, different things to see how they're working. And and that includes, uh, like Steve was saying, it's taking a little bit different approach to some of the things that you're putting together. Sometimes it's not just the things that you're used to ordering out of a catalog anymore, but you have to be more creative about the way you're sourcing things and even the materials that you're using. Okay. Now, I was going to ask this question. I think you've addressed it in part already, but what are some of the challenges organizations are facing in terms of meeting, you know, workplace project deadlines? You've covered some of that already, but any further thoughts on that? I think we've covered most of it. I think one of the things that I just want to, I'm going to pick up on one thing that that Tim was just talking about, because I think it's maybe not so obvious to a lot of people, but as people go back into their offices, even if they don't reconfigure much, to accommodate the variability of flexible working most people's technology is actually not 
adapt to it. And so it's been interesting. We've talked to our clients and as they've got, you know, some of their people still working remotely and some back in the office, the video experience that we're having now is really poor. And if you think way back to pre-COVID, there really wasn't that much video, right? Either people were in, either they were right. in a room together. Sometimes you had a couple of people maybe dialing in on a phone, but it wasn't too often that they were in video. And if they were, they were sort of lost in the small little box on the screen as the team on the room sort of collaborated, they were, they were kind of flies in the wall and it wasn't a very great experience. And what we're finding is, again, you've got a bunch of people that are maybe half the number of people in a conference room face-to-face and other people remotely. And you've got these types of experience who are used to looking someone in the eye and having that video personal experience. And now there are little dots in a conference room. You can't tell who's talking, whatever. So it's been very, very interesting. More and more, maybe just a recency effect, our clients are saying, boy, our, our technology is actually inadequate. And it's just something I just want to bring it up. And, and, and Tim had mentioned it because I've got a, a deep experience in, in technology solutions for clients. But it's, it's one of those things that maybe isn't completely obvious to people until they get back into it. And so yeah. uh, that's been fascinating, quite frankly. Yeah, I think, Steve, if you, if you just take the example of a uh, we talked a little bit about those boardrooms. You know, if you just take that as an example, I think you're used to going into those rooms with the the long tables and the chairs and and having a, a sort of a, a screen at the the front of the room. And I think what we're seeing now is is that you have to really think about that experience relative to the remote participants to those kinds of meetings. So rather than just having a single screen at the front of the room, we're now seeing multiple screens so that you can have a persistent gallery view. So those remote participants feel like they're always part of those meetings. And I think that, you know, in addition, you know, you're having to think about, you know, multiple cameras in a room versus sort of a single camera at the front of the room, because people want to see the faces of the participants. They want to see what the presenter's doing. And so, Smart camera systems, intelligent camera systems, 360 camera systems, those are all things, you know, and then also considerations for audio and acoustics, those are all really important. So when you talk a little bit about the timeline for things, part of it is not just reconsidering the physical workspaces, but also those collaboration spaces and how people are really going to connect with each other in this hybrid environment. Okay, excellent perspectives there about technology, Tim. Thank you. H&I Global is a leading global provider of workplace furnishings and residential building products. A collective of brands, including Allsteel, Gunlock, Han, and others, come together to provide a full portfolio of solutions, allowing H&I to serve as a single-stop solution, no matter your company's size, price point, or design expectations. Learn more about H&I's process and people at hniglobal.com. So I'd like to pick up next on a term uh, that I think you mentioned this in the news a lot right now, which is supply chain, supply chain disruptions. So how can organizations offset some of the supply chain issues they're probably facing, as well as other challenges associated with completing a project? Think about that from strategy to design to delivery. What can, what can companies do to offset some of those challenges? I think there's some pragmatic things. You know, we talked about supply chain. We talked about sourcing locally which I think is something to think about early on. I mean, you know, very simply, first of all, obviously you need to think about that earlier on in the cycle so that you're, you're ahead of the curve. I mean, it might be a, like a blinding, flashy, obvious, but once you identify some of those supply chain issues, you know, what we found is, again, sourcing locally and getting creative with some of those elements is really important. And uh, even some reuse, maybe more than you normally would, of existing, of existing products has been something that, that I've seen be very creative. The other element of supply chain is the inflationary component. And so 
you know, we've gotten ourselves very used to having a relatively low inflationary environment for the last several years. And, you know, we've all kind of seen on the, the news, the, you know, the, the inflation, um, especially in the, in the, the height of, of COVID around wood and steel and all that. And so that's been something that we've had to be much more mindful of as well. And so just making sure that we lock in prices with suppliers, we make sure that, that again, we're looking at many more alternatives and, and working with some of our strategic suppliers to make sure that we, uh, we minimize some of that, some of that impact. Um, some of that inflationary element is actually in the shipping. And so how can you get creative around that? Maybe you bulk ship, et cetera, if you know you're going to have a lot of use. Um, so there's all kinds of creative things, but I think the physical supply chain getting creative and then inflationary elements of, of supply chain too is something that, that's real. And again, we've, we haven't flexed those muscles for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I would just follow up on Steve, your comment about reuse. I think that's really important uh, from a creative standpoint is to think about both reuse, repurpose, reconfigure. I think those are all things that sort of lend to that idea of flexibility you talked about earlier, Tim. And, and it's, you know, even thinking about spaces for multi types of usage, those are all part of this. It, you know, I think that the great opportunity here is to really rethink everything and not just sort of take any of that for granted and, and to take technologies that may you may be underutilizing in one space and start to to reconfigure them and use them in other spaces as well is an important part of this. Okay, great. You know, over the last several months, one of the big storylines has been return to office, obviously within the COVID context in corporate real estate. So return to office, getting people back in the office. And so companies are at various stages of doing that. But it's really important to get people back in the office for the, for the reasons we've talked about. So from your standpoint, what kinds of things are moving the needle when it comes to enticing employees to come back to the office? Is it a certain kind of workplace design layout? Is it amenities, incentives? From your standpoint, what's what's making a difference out there? A couple of things are I think that, you know you've got sort of let's call them the macro issues around around vaccination, around reduce it, you know the falling COVID rates, the public transportation issues like the kids getting back to school, childcare, all those kind of macro environments that allow people then to get back to the office. And then once you've kind of got those in place or sorted or at least addressed. Then I think what I found is the most effective are, are two things. One is recognizing that people are going to be working flexibly. So don't kind of say, we'll be back Monday through Friday. We'll see you at 8 a.m. on Monday. It's what I've seen as apartments or cohorts of people. Let's all meet on Tuesday. Let's meet on Tuesday afternoon. Let's meet on Thursday. And so kind of easing into that so that the time in the office is purposeful. And they're really satiating those elements that people have craved, which is that innovation, which is that collaboration, which is that social element. And so that's what I've found that to be the most effective is kind of you know, make it very purposeful and, and start small. The other thing that we've done actually at, at Unispace, which has been, I think, really well received is we've been, we've, we've changed our policy. So we've got a, we've got a, uh, just to recognize the flexibility of what people want to do. And we've actually got a three approach policy, which is a, just recognizing flexible work. And so allowing people to work flexibly and acknowledging that in writing and having sessions around that. So that's one component. The other component that we've done as people have been very, you know, working very hard, very stressed out, et cetera, as we've actually gone to a, a Friday afternoon kind of refresh. And so what that really means is we've, we've acknowledged that people need some time to just learn something new, to spend time with families, to, to you know, just to re-energize. Whatever that means, we've given people that time to decide what that means best for them. 
And we've done that because especially with a global company, it's very difficult to kind of, you know, you say that, but then someone from a time zone, that's the only time they can meet. So we've had to do that very deliberately to give people that time. And then the last thing that we've done, and this is maybe a thing that's very unique to, to Unispace, but we've always been a, a company that's been very global in our mindset. And so we've had people moving around the world on a very regular basis. There's a project in one place, they'll move there. We're opening an office someplace and people would go maybe be seconded there. And we've actually, people are kind of, they're, they're yearning for that to happen again. And so we've, we've established a very formal, we call studio hops. We allow people to work in another studio in their city or another country. Obviously, you know, COVID restrictions are have, have limited some of that, but at least making sure that people know that's something we're going to continue to honor when they're able to do that. It's interesting, Steve, because, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but it, this is also a time where we all need to really fall back on our human-centric design principles, right? And we used to hear this term a lot, live, work, and play. And it was kind of that way to delineate your home life and your work life and your lifestyle. But, you know, what COVID's done is really sort of delegated the work part of that to the back of the line. And I think, you know, people care way, way more about their home and their lifestyle. And if work isn't meeting the needs and they're, you know, they're going to move to a place that they can find that comfort. And so, you know, I think that um, health and wellness uh, are key considerations and expectations that people have now in the workplace, access to outdoor space, natural light, uh, facilities for medical needs, uh, you know, in addition to wellness spaces and but you know, for us, it's also about platforms for creativity and collaboration. You mentioned that earlier, that need for social interaction is super important. Uh, I was recently at a, a large tech firm where they're starting to bring people back in a voluntary fashion, and the cafeteria was just teeming with life. I mean, it was like lots of people. So they were, you know, just so glad to get back together and, and, and it was a younger demographic. And so maybe there's more social interaction there, but it was still great to see, but you can also see where there's sort of a craving for that social interaction. So I would just implore designers out there to make sure that they understand this is not about more ping pong tables, really. It's about creating a better life experience for people. Fantastic. Okay. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, and now as we uh, wrap up, here's my last question, uh, gentlemen. Experiential design. We hear a lot about the workplace experience and how important that is. We've talked about it some already, but experiential design is something we're hearing more and more about. Can you give us some examples of what that really means in a, in a workplace setting uh, based on your client work? Tim, I'll let you handle that one because you're right in the middle of that, and I'll, I'll follow up. <laughs> well, well, you know, as someone who's been leading an experienced design practice for the last 30 years, it's kind of nice to know that people are starting to pay attention to this, I guess. But, you know, for us, it's, it, it's always been about connecting people to play. So, I mean, it's not just simply this idea that there's lots of wow factor necessarily. It's really about a place that's reflective of stories in certain ways and, and allowing you to connect to, uh, to stories. It's for us, it's not it's so much about how a space is programmed, but more about the ways that people can connect to the place, developing and creating platforms for connectivity, co-creation, collaboration, creativity, storytelling, social sharing, networking. This is just, you know, this is more than just sort of what people think of as environmental graphics or wayfinding. Uh, it's really giving people a reason to care about the place that they work. So um, I think it's important that as we think about the, the future and we think about how people want to experience this is that we find ways to sort of amplify and support this need for connectivity. So I always tell people that it's 
not just about designing spaces that you can move through, but in fact, designing places that move you, right? So it's really about how you feel in those spaces and how you're able to connect to others. And so I think that's, that's important. And I, that's why I wanted Tim to go first, because one of the things that really struck me when we started working very closely with Downstream is this, like Tim mentioned, this has been their focus for the last 30 years. And, and I, I think it's, it is interesting that people are talking about it now because it always should be. But if you kind of take a step back, and Tim mentioned this a, a few minutes ago, is that the, the workplace has to be equal to or greater, greater than the alternatives if you're going to be working flexibly. And so to do that, it's really got to be high impact. And one of the things that Downstream have been doing for a long time is working with clients on that experience, whether that was a sporting event experience, whether that was a customer briefing center, so a, you know, a customer-facing space. And in that, especially in those customer-facing spaces, that, sto that story along the way was, was really very, very uh, front of mind. And I think that is very much the mindset that we need to have in the workspace now. And so that's one of the reasons that, that I wanted Tim to start with that and one of the reasons that, I, that I'm working with the downstream people because they've been doing this for a long time. And I think there's a lot to learn in the kind of, you know, if you will, the, the BAU workplace is the way that the people have been thinking about those experiences, whether it's a, whether it's a sporting event or a, a museum or a customer briefing center. Those same design elements and that mindset around the journey and the storytelling needs to take place in the workplace if we're ever to get back to work and have it be uh, impactful. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Steve, for those thoughts. And let me conclude by saying thank you again, Steve and Tim, for speaking with Cornet Global today. It's been great talking with you, and I really appreciate your sharing all these helpful insights for our members. Thank you, Tim. I look forward to seeing yeah. those who are going to be at the summit. Yes, sir. Thank you. Look forward to speaking again soon. Take care. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.